Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. What if the temple wasn't like fully built and it had a bunch of rooms that didn't even have like a floor in it? It had like a rebar sticking out and it smelled weird because like the paint hadn't like dried out and everything's like unfinished. It's kind of hard to compare myself to like a building. Maybe if it was like built of, uh, I don't know, sand. I don't know what they used back in the day, but let's just say it was made of something that was, uh, that didn't require like bolts or nails or anything that you could like seal or like one of those uh japanese buildings where the the woods cut to where it like links in together like the lincoln logs well at any rate like uh what i, I guess what i'm saying is uh, to refer to oneself as some type of building or temple is like to animate yourself as a completion and at the age of 30 you can't complete anything you can't complete you ever i don't think unless you're already complete as is but then again, where, where do I draw the line between when someone's ready ready to die or when someone is ready to admit to themselves that you don't need to be anything else or that there's nothing to add or that you're whole? So the comparison of like the temple is um, I am building this and this is a building. And a building, to be called a building, doesn't require anything more than, I guess, some walls and some form of construction that maybe you'd consider something to be a building. But would it mean that you laid the foundation, uh, erected the boards, put in the insulation, sealed it off, painted it? You know, what does it take to be a building? Four walls and something flat or something curved or laid at an angle or you? I don't know. It's more like Solomon's contemplative. Solomon's template. Solomon's contemplative. I don't know why I wanted to open it this way, but it, it seems to me like this is like, this thing contains my world and my worldview, which is to say it contains the world and that which you could view. How much of it wouldn't be you and how much of it would, would be? So really the architecture of it all is uh, really neither here nor there. It's just simply this is my temple as, as it is, as a, as a whole being itself. And yet here I am actively constructing it. You know, what would it look like? I don't know. Probably something rather dubious. Well, at the very least, um, I'm sure there's some logical fallacies that I haven't seen within myself. And that's why I'm going to go over logical fallacies again. This is the part two of the series, Logical Fallacy. And I just wanted to go over a few of them, um, just because they're salient. And salience in itself is kind of fallacious, but I, I believe that which comes to mind readily is is simply important now. And nothing is goes... Uh, goes without the other. I mean, everything's important. Everything belongs together. Um, and I kind of wanted to dedicate this episode to remembering things that keep us on track. And so I'll start out with the list length effect. List length effect. Remembering a small amount of items is harder to remember more items in a longer list, which is interesting. Wouldn't you think it is harder to remember more things? Of course, except it's actually easier to remember more things when there is a longer list. So if you had like five items on a list, it would be hard to remember at least three of the five without looking at it again two hours later. But if you had a list of 10 things, remembering those three things would be almost certain. Remembering six of them might be as hard as the three. This is how it works. It seems counterintuitive. When you take on more, when you take on more than you could chew, you could actually chew more. So uh, this is a part of our lives maybe we shouldn't underestimate ourselves. Take, take it on and don't take it off. You know, I think this rings, rings true because uh, if I ever have a lot on the plate and I'm like, okay, I need this, that, the other thing, I'll go out to the store, let's just say, 
And if there's a lot that I forgot to write down or just decided not to write down, but I have my own little to-do and I just kind of browse, I'll go out without looking at it and I'll just pick up almost everything. It seems like I, I didn't have to remember. But when I write down like eggs, milk, and like butter or something, it's almost like <laughs> I just avoid some of those things and get other things. <laughs> Doesn't that seem to be the way? At, at any rate, this is what they've, they've found. What that says about life itself, um, I don't know. Maybe it says uh, that our style should be go for it, to just throw yourself into um, all of these, uh, in, into this sea and subject yourselves to more rather than the less. But I wonder what it would be, uh, I wonder how it would serve you if you had to do like the, a really lengthy list, a list that was maybe doable. Maybe there is something to do with like, maybe there's too much and then maybe there's not enough. Maybe there's a medium. I tend to focus more toward medium because I think if you go too far, when is too far to where you just forget it all and you just don't retain? When is not enough? Well, if you remember one thing, you remember it. And that's all there is to remember, so you can't fail there. So I'm wondering, when does it serve you? Well, I feel like if there's a lot of things that you need to know in a certain amount of time, there's a way to remember more, and I think to remember more of it, to retain more of that, is to extend your lists. Is to just simply write it all down, everything. Go all in is your best bet. There's something called the Google effect. It says you're less likely to remember things readily available online. What if something's uh, in a level of importance? Well, they also show that the uh, information uh, was more readily forgotten when they told you explicitly through instruction to remember it. When there is uh, an application and an incentive to remember something, if you were to access it online versus not, that command was more readily forgotten if you were to go to Google or a source that had it for you. There's a group of uh, the encyclopedia and there's a group of um, those that looked online for sources of information. And the group with the encyclopedia group that looked it up readily, present to hand, uh, the cingulate gyrus region uh, and the occipital and th these, these parts of the brain that are responsible for uh, collecting uh, and passing on information, there is a decrease in activity in the gyrus region compared to those of an encyclopedia group. So it seems as though having something tangibly um, has a different effect on your brain versus it being accessed online. So it's almost as if when it comes to instructions, if somewhere in the 90s uh, you were uh, told to go somewhere and you were all ears and remembering that you turned left on this and then you went down a ways and then turn right and then turn right and then turn left. And of course, if it's ready to hand through your GPS, yeah, I'll know where to go. You look it up, you see the instructions, you read them. As soon as you look away to start driving, do you remember those? My guess is probably you don't really care as much as to know because you take it for granted. And that's the kind of idea is, is effectually, if it's like stamped there ready to hand whenever you want, to access that in your memory is gonna be more, more uh, false in its reliability to retain and have a reliable stance on how you're processing information. So, simply speaking, when you access stuff present to hand online because you know it's there, you're not going to take down that information in your brain the same way as if you were to do it by other means. There's something called the picture superiority effect. When presented with pictures that you are familiar with, 
you process them a lot faster versus a recollection type of processing speed is a lot slower. To recollect is to bring about through the past of recollecting memory versus processing it of an immediate effect through familiarity. Studying, studying pictures are recognized less than studying words. So you to, to recollect something is a slower effect. You don't remember it immediately versus if you see words. And that is through a, a limited amount of time. But if you're given more time to rediscover something, pictures are recognized more readily. So if you're to have a reliability of how you are to remember something more readily, if presented, the slow acting process through recollection is more reliable than the fast acting process of familiarity. So if you're not familiar, you're not familiar. You're not going to process it at all if you don't recognize it immediately. You're more likely to bring about something through your memory when it comes in pictures. So if you're unfamiliar, you're just straight unfamiliar. But if there is something that draws up uh, within the memory and is recollected, that in itself stays. It stays within the framework of your mind because there's nothing that you need to reliably reference in order to actually recall it. It's recalled through the fact that there is something that is existent and that is already there and is waiting to be retrieved. So of course, your reliability of pictures is going to create an effect of recollection that is more reliable, even though it doesn't happen immediately. In other words, like things that are imbued and worked upon into your brain is like information of reference, information of, of knowing about something like a word, like an article, a little piece of something that remains versus that which is just taken in in form and that you could recollect uh, slowly but you know it's there because it's it's burned it's burned there it's a whole continuity of being that's there i think uh, all things that have importance and meaning are seen like you see what you mean and with language as in words you sort of see what you mean through the process of hearing that uh, the word will show you what the meaning is, but pictures itself are like the sight itself. So it would make sense that uh, having pictures would be have a superior effect to how you're to remember something and that they're more readily available. So this has implications in education and getting people to retain certain information is to stimulate visually. There's one called the ex escalation of commitment. And that's exactly what it sounds like. You keep committing yourself and escalating the situation by being defensive. And you see this all the time in forums that you go on where someone's being pressed for information, but they can't provide it. All they can provide is some argument that doesn't make sense. And all, all they really want to do is defend their egotism. They remain committed to past behaviors, especially that are exhibited publicly. So when everyone's watching, they want to really have something to prove because there's more at stake. And especially when it's derived from from positions of power because then you lose the credibility of the base that keeps you there. You definitely want the desirable outcome when you're there. It becomes more pronounced and that's why politics is so insecure and insufferable. Maintaining consistency and defending your own decisions and ideas and being able to go back and admit mistakes becomes increasingly hard in the fallibility of history. And what's more is I'm going to present this next fallacy, the just world hypothesis. The just world hypothesis is one way of keeping your point of view upright 
having it be wrong, the consequences are almost unlookable. You almost can't see it. And that's why things get really, really hairy and why violence and hatred might break out. So we're going to explore this. A just world hypothesis is a hypothesis or supposition about the world that will state that your guess is true because you have a justification for how the world is. That the world operates on principles that are just, where people get what they deserve. Which is kind of funny because I saw someone with a handle online that said, you got what's coming to you. What a weird thing to put as like your profile name, or like your username. And this person ended up messing up by saying something really foul, like just something really politically obscene. And someone called them out and, and told them, you're going to get what you're des you deserve someday. And they got really defensive and upset about it. But really, he is the thing. He's a reflection of the thing that he hates. So like the world is more of like a mirror of justice, that things are actually balanced out themselves through a karmic response. There's also a rationalization of suffering, where that suffering that's happening is, again, it's almost like you get what's coming to you, or we, ha we are at, we're in a position where we deserve. They derogate the poor rather than realizing that there's a structural imposition that might underserve certain groups. And that's where the blame game comes in. And that's what creates a self-serving bias. You're just in a position to want to serve wherever, whatever you are, wherever you are. It's easier that way. There's an attitude attached to the just world hypothesis where people are, a view, are viewed of getting uh, their just desserts when there's an illness. Like AIDS victims are subject to greater blame for the own cause of their illness than those with cancer. And what does that say? It says that people that get an illness are less deserving and are of sympathy when it has to do with interbodily fluids pertaining predominantly for people who are homosexual versus people who willingly torment their body with bad food, cigarettes, too much sun, whatever it is. They say that a strong belief in a just world is associated with blaming the poor. They blame the poor with a weak belief in a just world associated with identifying external causes of poverty, including world economic systems, war, and exploitation. So they attribute a weaker and flimsier association to looking at causes of poverty being outside the people that are in it versus blaming people who are actually impoverished. So that in itself is a self-serving bias on viewing how poverty exists and how it's supposed to exist internally rather than externally caused. The just world hypothesis is known to create positive mental health associations with a just world for the self and for others. That their point of view simultaneously justifies where others are, including themselves. And this is high, highly correlative of ego protection, maladaptation, conservatism, and a greater acceptance of negative events, including less dissatisfaction of negative events. So in a sense, it's a justification to accept things that don't happen to you and to be able to accept things easily when they're not happening to you versus the inverse. So it seems to me like Justice, in that sense, isn't a balance. Justice is a complete imbalance. 
It would be the opposite. Injustice is an imbalance because justice is represented by the scales and the blindfold. But if you're busy saying a just world through the ways in which we have seen through cognitive and behavioral scientists have suggested that no, your just world hypothesis is based on you being unjust. So that'll be that for the discussion. Um, I know there is a lot of things in the world that are justified that are completely unjust where things are just so, but they are not justice. They're not just themselves, they're just justified. And justification is a balancing act between where you are and where you are not, and the identification of what is it that is deservant of here, the here and now when it comes to the path to here. That in order to get along in a world and to be able to say that this is okay is in some sense to say that the way things are really are the way they are because that's what's how it's supposed to be. Otherwise, they'd be different. Yeah, well, concerning you, maybe when you're in a position where you won't be harmed is more readily received and more easily justified than on, when the shoe's on the other foot. And I'm sure there's a host of Martin Luther King quotes that might suggest to you where certain people with power are going to feel a just world hypothesis more readily than someone who's suffering injustice. So we'll just stop there. Thank you for visiting. Be careful you don't trip over something and land on some rebar. See you next time.